PenPod, internal medicine podcasts from the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Hi, I'm Louisa Whitesides, and on this PenPod, we will talk about a common issue that you will come across, especially on your night flow rotations and 30-hour calls, delirium. What is delirium? Delirium is an acute alteration in the arousal system. Patients in the hospital, especially elderly patients, but remember all patients can come in with delirium, are at high risk. Common places in the hospital where delirium occurs are in the ICU, which you will see frequently, and post-surgical wards. Risk factors for delirium include advanced age, underlying dementia, and sensory impairment. Delirium typically has some precipitating event although sometimes small and seemingly inconsequential. Some examples include drugs and toxins like polypharmacy, overdose and withdrawal, infection, metabolic derangements, other organ failure like AKI or CHF exacerbation, or physical disturbances like trauma or heat. On this episode, we will talk about the presentation, evaluation, and management of delirium. Let's talk a bit about the presentation. Delirium can present in a myriad of ways, but the cornerstones of the process are one, an acute change in mental status, and two, waxing and waning mentation. This should not be confused with dementia, which is a progressive process, though patients with dementia are at high risk of developing delirium in the hospital. Let's go more in depth into the clinical features of delirium. First, delirium will often have some sort of disturbance in attention. This feature will typically present itself when you are questioning them on history. Short answers will not be difficult, but more complex answers will be near impossible. Second, the changes that occur over a short period of time. Families will often say that the patient was not this way prior to arriving to the hospital. His or her mental status will fluctuate even during the stay. This, of course, can be most difficult when assessing a patient with underlying dementia. Third, delirium cannot be explained by some other underlying condition. Fourth, psychomotor changes are the hallmark, although may be difficult to identify. The classic change is hyperactivity. However, there are circumstances of hypoactivity, which leave delirium often identified for longer periods of time. Fifth, emotional disturbances. These patients often demonstrate unusual fear, paranoia, euphoria, or depression. So how should you identify and evaluate a patient for delirium? Delirium often goes unrecognized, however, it is helpful to uncover early both to address the underlying cause and to minimize long-term effects. When evaluating a patient with delirium in the middle of the night, it may be a bit difficult to take a full history, but the key to it is to identify the underlying trigger, infection, withdrawal, etc. This should include a careful review of labs for any electrolyte abnormalities or signs of dehydration, an infectious workup, and a chart review of his or her social history and medication list. Examination should look for any clues 
that would point you toward an underlying trigger, and a thorough neurologic exam. Although this may be difficult when a patient is agitated, the important pieces are assessing for focal neurologic deficits and seizure activity. One helpful delirium scale that you will often hear reported in the ICU is the CAM, or Confusion Assessment Method. This is an extremely sensitive test to identify the underlying cause of agitation or inattention. The questionnaire takes about five minutes to administer and covers four categories, onset and fluctuating course, inattention, disorganized thinking, and altered level of consciousness. Further testing that may be required depending on your evaluation may be a BMP, infectious workup, including UA, blood cultures, and chest x-ray, as well as any other imaging depending on your bedside assessment, a urine drug screen and drug levels, and a blood gas. Imaging of the brain may be needed if there is any concern for focal de deficit or if no underlying cause has been identified. It is also important to remember that if a patient has prolonged delirium without precipitating cause, an LP and an EEG may be warranted. Remember that not all confusion states in the middle of the night are delirium. Other phenomena may be occurring. These include sundowning, which can appear quite similar to delirium, but is more often simply due to a circadian rhythm dysregulation in the setting of being in a new environment. Sundowning typically occurs in patients with underlying cognitive impairment as well. Focal neurologic disease, either in the setting of trauma or stroke, seizure activity or post-ictal state, dementia, or some psychiatric illness, including depression and schizophrenia. Now let's discuss the management. The best way to treat delirium is to minimize its risk of occurring. Although there is no identified set of interventions that reliably prevent delirium, there are a number of non-pharmacologic approaches that reduce the risk of it presenting. These include frequent orientation and use of orientation tools, such as clocks, windows, and calendars, cognitive stimulation with visitors and friends at the appropriate times, keeping the same sleep-wake cycle without using medications, physical activity as much as possible, minimizing use of restraints, visual and hearing aids for those with impairments, tailoring the medication list, treating the underlying cause of delirium, and managing pain with non-opioid medications as much as possible. There are no medications that have been identified to assist in a preventing delirium. However, there are some that are being studied. Some clinicians, especially in the ICU, will start low doses of antipsychotics, such as Seroquel. Other studied drugs include cholinesterase inhibitors and melatonin. For more information on methods to prevent delirium, please visit the Clinician Resources page at www.hospitalelderlifeprogram.org. So once delirium is diagnosed, it is important to take action in a number of ways. First, treat the underlying condition. This includes treating electrolyte abnormalities, antibiotics for infection, or withdrawal symptoms. Second, supportive care. 
maintaining adequate hydration and nutrition, encouraging mobility with frequent PT, treating pain and discomfort, preventing skin breakdown, helping with incontinence, and minimizing risk of aspiration. It is also important to communicate frequently with the patient and family. Third, agitation. This can be the most difficult piece to deal with in the hospital. Non-pharmacologic interventions are always preferred. These include frequent orientation, light touch, and reassurance. Restraints should only be used if the patient is at risk of pulling lines or at risk of harming him or herself. Pharmacologic approaches should be used when the patient is severely agitated. For acute episodes, often Haldol is the most effective because it can be given IV or IM. Remember that this medication does have QT prolonging effects. Seroquel can also be effective and can be given orally or if the patient has sufficient GI access. Benzodiazepines should always be avoided. And fourth, remember the ethical considerations when consenting for treatment in delirious patients. It is important to remember that their mental status waxes and wanes. Thus, while oftentimes implied consent is used, if a patient is lucid, they should be involved in their own care. So why is it important to identify and treat delirium early? Mortality associated with delirium is high, and prolonged delirium can lead to precipitous functional and cognitive decline, especially in elderly patients. Thus, it is of utmost importance that we attempt to prevent delirium whenever possible, recognize it early, and treat it to the best of our abilities in order to provide the best functional and cognitive outcomes and reduce risk of mortality in all of our patients.